Thanks for tuning in to Best Show Ever, a podcast presented by the Englert Theater. In today's episode, we're talking all things urban planning with the City of Iowa City's senior planner, Ann Russett. More specifically, we'll discuss some of her recent work rezoning residential areas in the South District of Iowa City to allow for more affordable housing options and walkability. We'll jump into our conversation after a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode is supported in part by Lansing Funeral Home. Throughout our life, we celebrate many different events, baptisms, weddings, bar mitzvahs. However, the funeral may be the most important because it's the final rite of passage, an event and celebration to remember and pay tribute to the one we loved. Lansing Funeral Home has over 100 years of service with two convenient locations in Iowa City and Coralville. Visit Lansing Funeral Home at 605 Kirkwood Avenue in Iowa City, 210 Holiday Road in Coralville, or online at lensingfuneral.com. Ann Russett has been working in urban planning for the better part of a decade. Prior to joining the city of Iowa City in 2018, she worked for the city of Cedar Rapids, the Los Angeles County Department of Regional Planning, and the Oregon Department of Transportation. She's currently working with the city to rezone the South District in an effort to create more affordable housing options and promote walkability. With around 80% of Iowa City's current residential land being allotted for single-family homes, this project will provide some much-needed middle ground with the additions of apartments, duplexes, townhomes, and other affordable housing options existing alongside those single-family homes. Thank you so much for being here um, in person for the special ever interview. We're so excited to have you today. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Definitely want to talk to you and focus mostly on your career in urban planning. Um, how did you get started or what drew you to urban planning? I became interested in urban planning after I graduated from college. So back in 2001. I, um, my first job out of college was at a nonprofit youth organization on the west side of Chicago, and they focused a lot on providing social services to children in the community and youth in the community, but they also had a really amazing arts program. And my, um, my degree was in art history, and I was really interested in arts education and public art at the time, and um, I I got this job and they were working on developing poetry slams and they had a recording studio and it was very music focused and um, it was a great job. And as part of that, I got involved in a community led planning process. And that's what really got me into planning. Um, we had meetings with the community about issues and opportunities and you know talked about transportation, resources like parks, jobs, schools in the community, what needed improvement, um, infrastructure, affordable housing, and all of these really kind of big issues came up as part of this. And it was a really grassroots effort. And a, a, it, it really it really is what sparked my interest in planning. And after that, I decided to go back to school to get my master's. Hmm. I'm kind of curious if, if a child 
a middle schooler, maybe high schooler, was asking you what urban planning is, how would you describe it, like, in real layman's terms? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think for a younger audience or even, you know, someone who doesn't know that much about what I do, I would describe it as part of it is working with the community to develop plans and policies that create visions for how we want our community to develop. Um, Thinking about where we want, um, where we want parks, what we want our street network to look like, what types of housing do we want and where do we want that housing to be located. That's part of it. The other part is much more regulatory where we're reviewing actual development plans um, where, you know, someone wants to build a new student housing complex. Well, what is the property zoned? How many stories can it be? How many units can you get? How much parking can you have? That's kind of the more um, regulatory part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think even even kids can get, you know, what do I like about my neighborhood? What makes my neighborhood special? Um, Is it the trees? Is it um, the coffee shop down the street that I can walk to? Um, Everyone gets that, you know, what Mm -hmm. that is part of planning. Mm -hmm. I was secretly hoping you would say um, what got you into it was that like Sims game where you like build the town, Zoo Tycoon. But they do those games where you build the town, like you put the water tower in. And to me, that's like a fun way that I think about it. Yeah, there are definitely planners who play that. I've actually never played the game. I don't know if I should admit that. I feel like I'm too, I kind of missed that, missed that game based on my age. But yeah, I've never played it. I think they actually had SimCity. SimCity, yes. I think they actually had us playing that in, like, civics class in the fourth or fifth grade or whatever. Yeah. yeah. What would you consider to be the most important skills for an urban planner? You know, based on kind of what you said earlier, there are so many different facets of planning. So I think depending on your position in planning, whether you're a transportation planner, or maybe you work for the private sector in a a company, maybe the skills needed are different. But I would say um, being a public sector planner, I think one of the skills that's important is the the ability to listen to people, to engage people, um, to have empathy, um, to, to be willing to Also, to kind of have thick skin, because sometimes, you know, development projects are controversial and Mm -hmm. things are said, um, not to take those things personally. Uh, So I think that's what I would say, at least for for public sector planning. Hmm. Yeah, I was kind of surprised thinking about this interview and researching just a tiny bit that I I didn't realize how much of it had to do with policy and, and public policy. And it is kind of a political thing to be in, which I didn't really, I thought about it more logistically, Mm -hmm. um, but you kind of have to do the full scope of that, which is interesting. Um, What makes Iowa City unique when it comes to the kind of work you do? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about Iowa City is that even though it's a smaller city, it still has the same issues that LA has, that Chicago has, Mm. that New York has. 
It's just at a smaller scale. So we have affordable housing issues. We have transportation issues. We have um, issues with accessing open space. All of those things are issues in every city and they're also issues in Iowa City. What's maybe unique about Iowa City is the university and, and the population of students that we have. And that brings other, I guess, um, challenges and opportunities to planning that other cities without a large university don't have. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we have um, the main, I, the main thing I think when it relates to students is just housing and having enough housing for students. And I mean, it's, it's not true. It's not just true for students, but it's for everyone in our community, making sure that we have enough housing, that we have different types of housing at different price points to accommodate the needs that exist. And it's um, maybe the, the students that live in our community are looking for something that's close to campus, that's um, affordable, that has a place to study, that maybe has some amenities or access to green spaces and you know, mm -hmm. maybe close proximity to a job or a transportation system that can get them to their job. So. Mm -hmm. That may be a little bit different um, aspect of planning in Iowa City that doesn't exist in small cities that don't have universities. Right. Yeah, I've been here for so long, sometimes I forget what, uh, how different it is to be in a university town. Uh, but I think I'm starting to notice now, as I have friends who live in other places, and they're like, why are all the leases only start in August oh, yeah. and go to August? And I thought that was like normal for so long or just how much people are transitioning in and out, which, yeah, I think has a cultural impact and surely impacts a lot of the work that you do. Um, what you kind of touched a little bit, but what are some of the issues that you are most passionate about um, when it comes to urban planning um, and I guess maybe if you could just talk a little bit on where those issues stem from and where you'd like to see it go. Yeah, I think that um, when I started out, like my first job after school as a planner, I was, I was working in the public sector for a county and we were working on housing policy. So I feel like that's where I started. That's always been my interest in... Um, housing issues and also working at that nonprofit youth organization um, made me interested in community development opportunities and connecting with communities. Um, so I think the, the projects and the programs that I was involved with early on have kind of stuck with me today and those are the things that I'm still interested in. Hmm. What maybe from five to 10 years from now, what would you love to see happen in Iowa City to Im improve on those things? Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, is what we're, we've done in the South District, which I think we're gonna talk about. Yeah. But um, what, I, what I'd like to see is a policy framework and a regulatory framework that provides flexibility for a variety of different housing types. Um, right now we have a zoning code that if you look at our zoning map, 
of our residential zones in the city, our single family zones. Um, there's very limited opportunities to do multifamily or anything that is just a little bit different than the standard single family housing development. Um, there's ways we can work with developers to incorporate a variety of housing types, but it comes with the process and time. And um, I would like to have a code that provides more flexibility and gives, has more um, opportunities throughout the city to have a variety of housing types. Mm. Yeah, let's get into that, um, the rezoning. Um, just as kind of a case studies for our listeners, um, can you explain what this project is and how it started and give kind of a scope for how long it'll take maybe? Sure, you know, this, this project started arguably in 2015 with the development of the South District Plan. Mm -hmm. um, that was, I wasn't involved in that process, but that was a very community focused um, planning process. And out of that came goals and uh, a vision within that plan to look at what we call form-based zoning. So typically with, with zoning, um, most cities have a traditional zoning code that focuses on separating land uses. So you have your zones for single family, you have your zones for multifamily. In form-based codes, they're less worried about use and they're more worried about the form of the building. Mm -hmm. And so in, in 2015, the community said, this is something we'd be interested in. In 2017, we worked with the consulting firm to do a little bit more research to see if they thought it was feasible for a portion of the South District. There was still interest amongst the community and city council to move forward. So at, in 2019, we started the process of actually creating the framework for creating these different zones that these form-based zones. Um, and that was just adopted last November. Mm -hmm. So what's the next step from there? So the next step is we need, we need uh, the, the code is in place. Um, it covers about 700 acres. Most of the land is undeveloped in the South District. Some of it isn't even in the city. It has to be annexed in. Um, so the next step is really kind of wait and see. We need uh, an interested property owner or a developer to move forward with the project to use the new code. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a lot of land. It's going to take a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So, But the framework's there. The code's in place. Um, and now it's just hopefully we'll get a project soon and um, can see what it looks like on the ground. Mm. How do you go about having those, starting those conversations with the community about what they'd like to see? Mm -hmm. Is Are you doing that or are you working with another organization? Is it like focus groups? What just does that look like in general? Yeah, and it can, it can vary depending on the project. For this one, we did have, we worked with a consulting firm, Opticos Design, um, so we had their support. So it was between the consultant team and city staff. We developed kind of an outreach program where we had community meetings. We had just conversations with landowners. 
um, homeowners associations that were in the area. Um, there was also, we also reached out to the affordable housing community and Sarah Barron, um, and as well as some, some co committees at Johnson County that were really interested in housing and accessibility. So we kind of, we did a mix of kind of bigger group meetings, more focused group meetings, um, and we just kept the conversation going and met with them multiple times over the course of almost three years um, to get their feedback and input. We, we, um, we, we ate, I think we had two drafts that were available for public review, and so we did um, media releases and stuff to let people know that they were available for review and that we would meet with people. Um, sometimes it's though for a project like this, it's hard to get people interested um, just because we're talking about, you know, zoning code yeah. and the language of a zoning code. Yeah. It's not that exciting. Yeah. But um, we also worked a lot with the South District Neighborhood Association and they were really great. Mm -hmm. um, we went to several of those meetings and had meetings with their leadership group and they provided a lot of great input. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do a wonderful job of making, putting energy behind some of these more, I don't know, just unsexy, like local politics type things. Yeah. I feel like Angie Jordan, especially and Marlene Mendoza, the, the personality and vision that they can bring to the table when it comes to those things is, is so cool. And yeah, I feel like that's probably something that's got to be really difficult with the work that you do, as you mentioned, like just hearing the word zoning. <laughs> this is like, I feel like for most people, it's kind of like a shut brain off sort of conversation. But the consequences or like what can come out of it can be uh, revolutionary, can be so impactful. How do you and your team get people to care, I guess, yeah. about what you're doing? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, a lot of our day-to-day -day is really taking calls from the community. Can, what can I do on my property? Can I put an addition here? Um, I wanna rezone this property, what do you think? Um, we review land development applications. We spend so much time doing that. And what, we, what I really wanna do is an update to a comprehensive plan or a zoning code or something like that. That's when we really need to really think about who do we need to reach out to? How do we get the community involved? depending on the, the project that we're working on, what's the best approach? Where do we need to go? You know, Are there existing meetings in the community that we can tag along and get on the agenda? Um, but un until there's an actual project like the South District Plan, uh, that regular engagement doesn't happen as much as I would like it to. Mm -hmm. the, the city, the Public Works Department, I think is having a big event in May for their new facility on South Gilbert. And we're trying to make it a family-friendly affair and get people out and come look at this new facility, but also learn about what all these other departments do. So we're trying to think of activities like a activities for kids that could get them interested in planning and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So uh, it's not always easy, like you said. Um, zoning is not necessarily something that everyone wants to talk about, mm -hmm. but 
there's ways to get people interested, I think. We'll be right back in conversation with Ann Russett after a quick word from our development director, Katie Roche. The Englert Theatre has been a cultural leader in our community for generations, and we want to make sure that the Englert continues to impact our community in a positive way for years to come. You can help ensure our place in the future of this community by joining our Fellowship for the Future program. By making a fellowship gift commitment, you lay down the sturdy foundation we need to grow and make even bigger community impacts. If you are excited about a future for Iowa City that has a thriving and innovative arts community, please consider our leadership level membership group, the Fellowship for the Future. Invest $100 per month or more for a three-year period at englert.org fellowship or contact us to talk more about what we can build together. What is, I guess maybe in two parts, with this rezoning project, what are the consequences for current residents and what are the consequences for people who are considering moving to Iowa City? What is this ultimately going to do for the community, I guess? Yeah, big picture, I think it's really shifting how we think about development, how land develops at the fringe of our community. As I mentioned, most of this land is not developed. It's not it's in the South District, but it's on farmland. There are some existing neighbors there um, that will have someday new development next to them. I think the, the consequences, though, are that we're in the impacts that we're really trying to achieve through this new code is requiring a mix of housing types, requiring a very integrated street network with shorter block lengths that makes it easy to walk, makes it safe to walk, that makes it safe to bike, um, makes a community that has a walkable center, whether that be a park or kind of a small commercial pocket. So everyone, no matter where you are in this community, have a park to walk to, hopefully have a small commercial area to walk to, hopefully have access to transit. Um, and there should be a variety of different housing types developed in the neighborhood. So it's really kind of shifting our thought process about what makes sense in terms of development at the fringe, mm-hmm. and kind of kind of changing things up. So it's gonna it's it was it's kind of a big shift, but there was a lot of support for it. I would say from the planning and zoning commission and from city council, and to some extent, the community. Mm. I liked looking at the sort of image of what it'll look like and, you know, it could be a duplex here right mm-hmm. next to a family house, right next to like apartment buildings, right next to, and I I felt like that was really exciting because, and I think whatever article I was reading sort of mentioned this, but you can have a lot of different family types or individual types in one neighborhood, um, which I don't know, to me seems really cool. Like me and my partner could live next to families, but also like single people. And what, what does that do culturally for a neighborhood um, rather than just having all family homes or just all apartments? Um, so I thought that was, that kind of got me thinking a little bit. And it got me thinking about the places I've lived already or 
might be moving to um, within Iowa City. What are the greatest obstacles with a project like this? The greatest obstacles with, well, COVID, honestly, it was okay, a yeah. huge <laughs> sure. obstacle. We, we extended our um, timeline about a year. I, and I would say a large part of that was because of the pandemic. Um, but, you know, the, there were, when we met with community members and neighbors and landowners, there were a lot of concerns with taking on a new approach. Some people thought we were going too far. Some people thought we weren't going far enough. Um, so it's really balancing all of those interests and balancing all of the interests of these different stakeholders because you're never going to come to a consensus. Mm -hmm. Every You're going to be working with a diverse group of people that have different interests and they all need to be taken into account, but we also need to take into account best planning practice and policy and what's best community-wide for our city. Um, so... The hardest part, I think, is balancing all those interests. And like we were talking about in the beginning, thinking about housing, environmental resources, transportation, you know, there can be competing interests mm -hmm. there as well. Well, I must say, before we move on to the best show ever part, it was really exciting to learn more about this because it does feel like as I've lived close to campus and close to downtown, it always feels like, oh, new luxury apartments coming in here, like new high rise here. And I don't know, it's it's cool to get excited about affordable housing happening um, in our town. Yeah, no, I, I know that a lot of, I you know, I read the newspaper, I, I often hear, see, read comments about people with similar concerns um, about just new, housing seeming to be expensive mm -hmm. and you know new construction is going to be more expensive at the same time we need to increase our housing supply that can take some pressure off of um the existing housing stack and people can move and maybe open up some of those the existing homes for for people um who who can't afford the, the new construction um you know, we have a great team at the city that's really focused on housing affordability and we have uh, affordable housing um, requirements in our Riverfront Crossings District and we have affordable housing requirements for any land that's annexed into the city. So it's, uh, it's definitely something that we're continuing to work on and, and see what we can do to, to bring more, not only bring more housing to the community, increase the supply, but also um, see where we can create programs that provide more affordable units for the community as well. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so let's get into your best show ever. And we'd love to hear about a live arts experience you've had in Iowa City and why it was so cool and maybe what kind of impact it had. You know, I'm actually going to reference planning in this answer oh please um in 2000 i'm going to take it back to 2014 to the show that i went to but prior to that in 2013 i was working in oregon for the oregon department of transportation and i had to go to a work meeting in central oregon and i was driving south on the five i was listening to npr and fresh air came on and terry gross was interviewing jason isbell and his new album, Southeastern, had just came out, and I hadn't heard of it. And 
it had such an impact on me and the music was amazing. Fast forward about a year, I moved to Iowa City and the Ingler, Jason Isbell's coming to the Ingler. So I get tickets and as much as that listening to his music in my car in Oregon impacted me, seeing him live was so magical. And his wife was there, Amanda Shires, who plays the fiddle and sings with him. And it was, it was kind of like a dream come true, honestly, because there are certain albums or musicians that just have an impact on you. Mm-hmm. And then you see them live and it just, it blows you away. And it was a very memorable show. What is it about the artist that, or his music that uh, connects with you so much? You know, part of it was learning through that interview with Terry Gross about his process, about the struggles he went through, but the the writing and the lyrics and the music. It, I mean, I'm I, I grew up in rural Iowa. There was a lot of like country and folk music that we listened to, so I'm drawn to um, more traditional music and folk music. And but you know, Jason Isbell is kind of like part rock too, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I I just think he's so talented. And it was yeah, it was just really powerful. Mm. Well. So glad that you had a great Best Show experience at our humble theater. (laughs) Um, And thank you so much again for doing this interview with us and just for the work you do, the community-minded work you do um, in Iowa City. It is seen and appreciated. Thanks, Ellie. This has been really fun. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert and Fellowship for the Future members. Learn more at englert.org slash friends. Ongoing support is provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council. Our intro music is Free the Bull by Dan Padley, and our interstitial music is provided by Iowa City Jazz Fusion Group, Wave Cage.